Thank you for the chance to study your word. Thank you that we have your word in our language. Thank you for guys like William Tyndale and John Wycliffe, Father, that worked to have scripture in English. And Father, I pray that we would not be those that are so accustomed to having Bibles and multiple Bibles that we would just be desensitized to your word. Father, I pray that we would be those who are so grateful to have scripture and that we demonstrate that gratefulness by studying it. And Father, that you put that desire in us. We can't conjure that up on our own. We need you to change our desires and our wants. And Father, the end is not that we would know the Bible well, but that we would know you well. Father, the Bible is a means to knowing you more and knowing you fuller. And Father, we pray that we would not be just Bible scholars who can name the books of the Bible backward and forward, but we would be those who walk with you because of our knowledge. Father, we pray now for the preaching of your word that you would anoint it and that you would feed us and you would change us. And as we move and transition from our study in Galatians, and we thank you for that, thank you for what we have sung, that our only boast is in Christ. We've sung that, and that's what we saw in Galatians. We have no hope of righteousness. But now, Father, as we transition to a study on the gospel community and the difference it should make in us, that we are not just those who've received and know the gospel, we are those who live the gospel. And Father, I pray that we would not just have in our minds that Christ has saved me, but that Christ has saved us and our responsibilities to one another as a congregation. Father, we pray that this would be a gospel-centered church, a Christ-centered church, and that it would be evident not just on Sunday, but Father, in the way we live Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and the way that you're advancing your gospel through us in this city to the places we go to school every day, to the places we go to work, and to the places we live. Father, that our schoolmates, that our workmates, that our neighbors would be impacted because of the transforming gospel that's advancing in us and through us. Father, would you please build a healthy church? And would you use today to help us grasp the relationship between the gospel word and the gospel community? And use today as just a, a beginning of what the gospel community looks like. Show us from your word, and then by your spirit, help us to live these things out. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. One of the great pictures of the gospel is that we've sung. We would never come to Christ. We are darkened in our understanding. We're alienated in our mind. We would never seek him. The problem is we have to be as holy as God is, but the Bible says that we fall, for, fall short of this because of our sin. So the incredible picture of the gospel is that God did what we could not do for ourselves. He sent his son Christ not only to bear our punishment, which is the very wrath of God, but also then to clothe us with righteousness. So that all we need, all God expects, and he says, be holy as I am holy. There's no way that could happen on our own. All that God expects, he provides for us. He sent his son to be the substitute to take the wrath that you should deserve. I have a feeling if you meditated on that each day this week, it would make a difference in your day. If you meditated on the fact that Christ bore the wrath of God that you should have borne, and that Christ died the death that you should have died, it'll probably make a difference in what you do that day. You'll probably find the strength of Christ to live it out. The problem is that's where a lot of folks stop with the gospel. We have shrunk the gospel in our day to where it's just a presentation to give you facts about Jesus and the cross and then get you to invite Jesus into his heart. We have, we have shrunk the gospel, but that's not where the gospel stops in the Bible. You see, the gospel is there's one message. God created all things. Sin entered the world, and now God is recreating all things. 
If you see salvation or the gospel, if you see the gospel is primarily the salvation of sinners, then you'll miss that the gospel is also about recreating humanity. He's recreating a people for his name. So the place that was first set up was Eden, right? And they got booted out of his place. God said, I will have a people. And he said that to Abraham, and he produced descendants. So God has a people, and God has a place, except for now we are the place. We are the dwelling place. We are the sanctuary. And what the gospel pictures is what's just said and what we've just sung. All the commands that we obey is not from our own strength, but only because of Christ. You know how you turn from sin? Christ. You know how you're in a hotel room at Mississippi State and you don't watch HBO? Christ. Christ. It's not flesh. It's not human things. It's Christ. So what's happened is to a detriment, we've presented the gospel and then basically in some ways said, now the rest is up to you. And friend, that's not the message of the Bible. If the rest is up to us, then we're without hope. Because the message of the Bible is Christ took our place. He bore the wrath. And Christ gives us all that we need every day. We cling to Christ. And in so doing, we should look different. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he planned before the foundation of the world. So there should be an impact, right? We should look different. So after we encounter the gospel, we should live the gospel. But for those of us who've understood that the gospel is just to be received, and then we go on with our life, then you're probably missing the fact that the gospel is to be lived. The gospel is to be lived. What would you say about a church that, or a congregation who knew the gospel and proclaimed the gospel but didn't live the gospel? What would you say about them? I would say they're in trouble, right? If they know the gospel and proclaim the gospel but don't live the gospel, they're, they're missing it, right? Evangelism is best done out of the context of a gospel community whose corporate life demonstrates the reality of the word that gave her life. So let me say that in another way. Evangelism is best done out of the context of a gospel community where our corporate life demonstrates the reality of the gospel. I wonder if that's true of us. Well, before we launch further, let me do a pop quiz to give you some, some running room. We've been studying that Galatians, in a sentence, salvation is in Christ alone, by grace alone, through Faith alone. All right. So in honor of school starting, we're giving a pop quiz. Salvation is in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. This is what we've been studying. Let me go way back on you. If I were to ask, what's my purpose? Do you know what the answer to that would be? Yeah, there it is. Glorify God. All right. What's my purpose? Glorify God. You're going to see that. If you haven't looked in Romans 15, you know why the Gentiles have received mercy? That they may glorify God. That's what it says in Romans 15:8. So what's my purpose? Glorify God. This is how we do it. And most of the time, I love it because it's the only time you'll see 70 and 80 year olds in a Baptist congregation lift their hands simultaneously. So it's my, one of my favorite parts, right? How do we do that? By knowing Him, obeying Him, enjoying Him. How long? Forever. There you go. So look how well you know. Look at all that you know already. Our purpose is to glorify God, and we do that by knowing Him, obeying Him, enjoying Him forever. We learn that justification is that God declares me righteous. How? In Christ. In Christ. Justification is that God declares me righteous in Christ. But let me give you two more. We're going to pull back all from this year. All right? So in the very beginning. In your presence is what? Fullness of joy. Good. At your right hand are 
pleasures evermore. That's Psalm 1611. If you're lost and don't know what that is, it either means you haven't been here with us or it's your, it's your first Sunday or maybe you've been here with us and you just tune out when I start talking. So, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. And what we talked about at the very beginning of the year is the greatest place to pursue satisfaction is in God. And the more satisfied we are in God, the less we'll choose sin. The less we'll choose sin. And in his presence of fullness of joy. When you get on the campus at LSU, there are going to be lots of things that are going to tempt you to say, there's a lot of joy in this, but don't be fooled. The greatest joy is in the Lord. The greatest, most satisfying, longest lasting joy is in the Lord. All right, students, I don't know if we can pull this out or not, but we did do Disciple Now based on Romans 12. And should the Lord give us the next, I don't know, 87 weeks, we're going to be in Romans 12 just for a little bit. But there was a little phrase we said at, at Disciple Now that went something like this. Not to be conformed. Does anyone remember the rest? Got to be, yeah, all right, good. So it goes like this, not to be conformed, got to be transformed, all right? So let's practice that. Not to be conformed, got to be, one more time, not to be, got to be, and this is what Romans 12, too, he says, don't be conformed to the world, don't be squeezed into the power of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is why I'm saying, we can't be those who just know the gospel, friend, the gospel should make an impact in our lives. Open your Bibles to Acts. We're going to start there. Acts chapter 2. Some of you are very scared because this is the passage of Pentecost. You're like, oh no, we're going to move past Pentecost. We'll pick that up for another time. Acts 2, beginning verse 42. Many of us know this passage. We've heard it a million times. I hope that we'll live it. Acts 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. I just thought it would be important to go to the first church, right? Let me ask a question. Did the gospel make an impact on the first church? Okay, I was just wondering, in case we were off on that. You should go back to the beginning. The gospel didn't just inform these people, it transformed these people in the way they acted together to one another and what they did in the rest of the time, right? All right, keep turning to the right. We're going to go to Colossians 1. We won't go to Galatians, because if you'll remember how Galatians started, Paul wasn't happy with those folk, right? He's like, what's wrong with your people? All right, so we'll go to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Just a few examples as we begin to think about not just the gospel word, but the gospel community. Colossians 1, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, here's what Paul wrote to them, beginning in verse 3. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. 
just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So they heard the word of truth, the gospel, there in verse 5. And the gospel was bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, but it was also bearing fruit and growing where else? It says in verse 6, as it also does where else? Among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, the gospel was advancing in them and through them. Did the gospel make a difference in this community? Yes, so the church at Colossae, the gospel made a difference. It transformed what they did together and what they did with those outside of the community. It made a difference. It wasn't just information. Let me show you one more, and then we'll move ahead. Second Thessalonians. Keep turning to the right. If you're unfamiliar, just a few pages to the right. The church at Thessalonica. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, here's what Paul writes. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you're enduring. Isn't it incredible this church is enduring persecutions and faith and persecutions and afflictions, and yet they're steadfast in their faith. Not only that, their faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of them for the other is increasing. Would you say that the gospel made a difference in the church at Thessalonica? Yes. Would you say that the gospel doesn't just inform, the gospel transforms? We're not just people that are receiving knowledge, we're people that are receiving Christ, and then Christ, we live Christ. Christ comes through us together. Would you say today, though, that there are congregations that uh, meet on Sundays, and yet as they journey Monday through Saturday, they exude very little evidence of gospel transformation. Would you say that there are those congregations? They gather, and they go through routines, and they go through rituals, but yet when it comes to the actual living, there's very little evidence of gospel transformation. Why is that? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. One is because they've probably never been transformed by the gospel. We want to be honest. If there are some reasons why congregations are not changed, if there are some reasons why individuals are not changed, it's because perhaps they've never really been changed. They've never been transformed by the gospel. Friends, uh, if you are the same after meeting Jesus, you've never really met Jesus. Somehow we have folks that it's okay, we stay at the same level with Christ. We don't see that in the New Testament, and we shouldn't be okay with it. We are communities that should be transformed. The gospel is not weak, friend. The gospel is very powerful, and the gospel makes a difference in our lives, both as individuals and corporately. Another possible answer is that they're either ignorant or immature in their understanding of what church really is. You know, we can create church, and we can create our definition. The problem is we don't have freedom to do that. It's not our church. We didn't purchase it with our blood. So therefore, it belongs to someone else, and he has the right to say what church should look like. Ball fields, no ball fields bubble no bubble whatever he is the one who has the right to say it all by her life created and shaped by the gospel the church reveals the nature of the inbreaking rule of god by that gospel life and proclamation she calls the nations to worship god you see friends we are both created and shaped by the gospel if we're a gospel church and then what we do is we proclaim that gospel and live that gospel calling all nations to follow this God. Here's what I wondered. 
We've seen what was said about the first church in Acts. We've seen what was said about the church in Colossae and the church at Thessalonica. You know what my question is going to be, right, friends? What will be said of us? What will be said of us? Will it be said of us they encountered the gospel but not much was different about them? Will it be said of us that they encountered the gospel but still pursued the same things as everyone else? Will it be said of our college students that they look just like every other college student on that campus? Or could it be said they encountered the gospel and were never the same again? We never got past the fact that he bore the wrath that I should have borne. And he changed me from the inside out. Could it be said of us they encountered the gospel and LSU was never the same again? Could it be said of us that they encountered the gospel and Baton Rouge was never the same again? Some of you doubt this. I already know it. I hear you. I hear your mind. I hear your thoughts. Some of you are just hungry and you're ready to go to Izzo's lunch. Friends, if you doubt this, then you have no idea about the power of the gospel. You have no idea of what God can do through people that are yielded to him. Will they say this? We can see the reality of the gospel and the way their congregation embodies it. Will they say that of us? Do you think this is just for super churches? Or do you think this is actually what church is supposed to be? I want to be very clear, friends. This isn't super church. This is church. This is the definition. This is what it should look like. We started this year with a focus on two things, the gospel word and the gospel community. So if you're here today, this is, this is a great time for you to be. You want to know what we're going to be about. We're going to be about the gospel word and the gospel community. And we've been studying in Galatians the gospel word. How many of you would say we encountered some bit of what the gospel word is about in Galatians? For a very long time, it was a resounding gong, right? It kept going on and on and on. What we want to see also is uh, what the gospel community looks like. And here's why we're not free to think on God or church in any way we would like. If you think on God in any way you want, I just warn you, that's idolatry. We're not free to think on God any way we want. We're free to think on him as he's revealed himself from his word and also about his church. And here's why church is important and not just BCM. Because Christ loves the church, and Christ has a plan. The Father had an eternal plan before there was the world. He had an eternal plan for the church. That's what it says in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 2 says that Christ purchased the church. And Ephesians 2 and 3 says that the Spirit empowers the church. So the Father planned, the Son purchased, the Spirit empowers. The church is pretty important to the Trinity. It should probably be important to us, right? So he has a plan for it, and we want to get in on it. I never forget this as a pastor. It's his church, his plan, his power, his funds, his people, his glory. I will not give an account for how creative I was. I will not give an account for how culturally relevant I was. I will give an account for being an overseer and a shepherd who led his people to his word and lined his church up as best we could to what his plans were for it. And you know what? You will give an account for that as well. If you are a member here, you will give an account for our stewardship as the time that we're called the people of Cross Point. You will give an account as well. So we should want to figure out what does the gospel community look like. We saw a little bit in Galatians. As we closed out in Galatians 6, we saw a little bit about the gospel community. The gospel community is one in which the word is taught and then we sow to the spirit and then we do good to everyone. You remember that? that passage where we do good to everyone, right? He said particularly the household of faith. 
And some of the things that we saw in there about the gospel community, some things that were true was that when someone sins in our midst, we restore them. We don't condemn them. All right? So we have restoration, not condemnation. That's true of the gospel community. When someone has a burden, we bear them together. That's part of what it means to be the gospel community. And so we said we have perspiration, not isolation, right? We're sharing this burden together. We're carrying it together. And some of our folks are walking through some tough times right now. So in the gospel community, there is a restoration from sin. There is a bearing of burdens. And then my favorite is that there is uh, self-examination, not self-infatuation. means that we're humble, we're not arrogant, right? One of the worst things is when there's arrogance in the body, that's not going to be good for the gospel community. So we've seen just sort of a glimmer, right? Just sort of a glimmer of what the gospel community is. We're going to see the rest in Romans 12. But before we get to Romans 12, and we'll close out real quickly because we're going to spend the next few weeks in Romans 12 really asking, what are we supposed to look like? We've encountered the gospel. We've heard the word. What does it look like lived out in our lives? And we're going to get there. But before we do, let me show you real quick just a couple relationships between the gospel word and the gospel community. Turn in First Peter just real quick, and we'll land in Romans 12. And we will finish up in time for 1 o'clock. Four key relationships between the gospel word and the gospel community. Before you came in today and before I gave you an outline, I wonder how many of you were asked, what's the relationship between the gospel word and the gospel community? How many of you could provide an answer to that? I wonder how many of you would know these things. There are four relationships, and I'll give them to you very quickly and then show you them just in First Peter as a launching, because you've got to grasp this. We've encountered Galatians, but it's like, where do we go from here, right? The gospel word does two things. The gospel word creates the gospel community, and the gospel word nourishes the gospel community. So the word creates the community. There would be no community if there was no gospel, friend, all right? So the word creates the community, and it nourishes the community. Then the community does two things. The gospel community then proclaims the word and embodies the word. These are four simple, there are many more, right? But these are four simple ones to kind of help us grasp how does what we're learning relate to what we're living? So the gospel word creates and nourishes the community. The gospel community then proclaims and embodies the gospel word. In First Peter, here's what it says, beginning in chapter 1, verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. You want to know what happens? You want to know how spiritual life comes? It's because God's spirit uses God's word in our lives. He uses the word to jumpstart and calls life to be in us. John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. John Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Ephesians 1, 13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. James 1, 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Does anyone see a resounding topic? Is there anything that was repeated in there? You understand? This is why we've got to grasp. This is why scripture is so important as we do evangelism. Friends, it's not just trinkets and stories that God uses to create spiritual life. It's his word. And so uh, through the gospel word, he creates life. I don't know if you've ever been grateful for your salvation experience, but I can tell you five things you should be grateful for today of that experience with God. Here's the first one. God gave you ears to hear the gospel. Number two, God gave you the ability to respond to the gospel. Number three, 
God prompted that person to share the gospel with you. Number four, God empowered that person's sharing of the gospel, right? Number five, God gave the gospel, all right? So five things you should be grateful for. One, God gave you ears to hear. God gave you the ability to respond. God empowered the person. God put a burden on that person to share, and then God empowered it. And then, in all of that, it's because God gave the gospel, right? So the word is what creates life. If there were no gospel word, there would be no gospel community. And we could actually go home. There would be no reason for us to gather, friend. There would be no hope. Then the word nourishes the gospel community. How many of you have ever drank muscle milk? Anybody ever? Have you seen that stuff? It's like high profile. Susan, I'm loving it. Helps with law school. What happens is uh, I, I stopped at a convenience store the other day and got it, and I got the strawberry flavor. It was awful. I hated it, you know? I was hoping it would be, I guess, because I wanted to shake, right? And shakes don't have a lot of protein. But uh, this muscle milk is this high-protein drink, right? Uh, it's nasty. But here's the idea. The Word is the muscle milk that we need. It is through the Word, then, that we grow. Look at what it says in First Peter chapter 2. Put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of where? The mouth of God, right? And it's through the word of God that we may be competent and equipped for every good work. So the gospel word creates our life, and the gospel word nourishes us. Then, the flip side, we proclaim then the gospel word, and we embody it. Look later on in First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and to his marvelous light. The gospel is a message. It's good news. Aeongelion means good message. What's it mean? All right. Aeongelion means good message. That's why we can't just have lifestyle evangelism. Friend, there's a message that has to be proclaimed. We must speak the good word. That's why there must be proclamation. The reason any of us came to Christ is not because someone just looked a lot like Jesus, right? It's because they shared about Jesus with us, right? So we must have a proclamation. He says, you know why you've been created a people? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him. He then goes on and says that we should embody these things. He just says in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So here it is again, and then we're going to move to Romans 12. The gospel word creates us. We wouldn't have spiritual life if it weren't for the word. It nourishes us. We grow up and we're competent and equipped for every good work because of the word. If you're not very competent and you're not very equipped, could it be because you don't know the word very well? And I want to challenge you. There is a difference between Bible reading and Bible study. There is a difference between reading and meditating and memorizing. And there's one thing I can't do as a pastor. I can't do it for you. I beg God for it all the time. And we still have folks that aren't very dedicated to studying the Bible, and we still have folks that aren't very dedicated to memorizing, but there are some folks who are. And if you want to grow up, and you've got to know the Word. You've got to be biblically saturated. Once we know it, then we proclaim it. Out of the heart, right? All right? From the heart comes the words of the what? Mouth. So once we know the Word, this is what we're proclaiming, and then this is what we're living. We're living the gospel. Now, let me switch us to Romans 12. That's where we're going to close today. It's just an overview. We're going to come back because we've got to zoom in on these things in Romans 12 because 
what does it mean to live the gospel? And Romans 12 is a great place to see that. All right? I want you to stand with me. We're going to read the first two verses, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to take ten minutes and roll through this in an overview. Here's what Paul writes under the influence of the Spirit, Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Father, we don't want to be those who just know the gospel. We want to be those who live the gospel. We pray that you would transform us so much that it's evident that we live lives of worship, that we think your thoughts, that we understand our need for one another and we're using our gifts to build one another up, and then we're living love. Father, in these closing moments, help us to have ears to hear. But most importantly, would you create us to be the gospel community? It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. This is where we're going to be the next few weeks, but I want to just give you an overview, a big picture, all right? Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore. And if you walk through Paul's writings, Paul always seems to have this idea. Theology should make a difference in our life. Theology should produce two things. It should produce right worship, and it should produce right living. It should produce doxology and ethics. That's what theology should produce. Theology is an end in itself. Theology is a means to the end of right worship and right living, or as we would talk, I've been talking about, Gospel-centered worship, gospel-centered living. So Paul says in Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, he's got the idea, everything I've covered in Romans 1 through 11 should make a difference. The gospel should make a difference in our lives. He gets in Ephesians 1 through 3, and he says all these things now should make a difference. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. Therefore, therefore, it should make a difference. If the gospel is not making a difference in your life, friend, it could be because you don't have the gospel. You've never been transformed. We don't see folks who encounter the gospel and then go years and years and years, and there's no difference in our life. There's no difference in our life. Friends, that's not the gospel, and that's not the gospel community. The gospel community is one in which we are different, right? So here's just a couple things that we'll hang our hat on, and we're going to come back and zoom in in the weeks to come. In the gospel community, grace is still amazing. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. What he gets into in Romans 11 is that the Gentiles have received mercy. The Gentiles have received mercy, and we don't ever want to be those who get over the fact that we've received mercy instead of judgment. We never get over it. We just go deeper into it. We want to understand it more and more and be grateful so that our hearts are kindled, right? If you want to love God passionately and others rightly, meditate on the cross constantly. Here, we have received mercy, and there's no doubt we were those that were separated. But why have we received mercy? I've already told you that in Romans 15. It is that we might glorify him. See, friends, salvation is not an end in yourself. It's not about just getting us to heaven and to Beulah land and see grandma again one day. It is about glorifying him with our lives. The means to do that is salvation in Christ. We could not do that without him. But now that we have Christ, the reason you have Christ is not just to get you to heaven, but it is to recreate us that we may be a gospel community and we might live Christ and we would glorify him. Well, how do we do that? He gives you some great things. Number two, in the gospel community, we worship with our lives as we die to self. One of the things that makes the gospel community different, it says this. It says, present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice 
Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let me ask you a question. Would you say you spend more time and energy on how you present your body to the world or to God? Would you say you spend more time and energy on how you present your body to the world or to God? Philippians 1.22, Paul says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. I wonder if that's our eager expectation. Our eager expectation is that always that Christ will be honored. Whether I live or die, he's going to be honored in this body. Is that our eager expectation every day? 1 Corinthians 6, you were bought at a price. Glorify God with your body. So what happens in a gospel community? In a gospel community, there are two things. First of all, we're the people who present our bodies every day to God. We're the people who present our bodies every day to God. Our eyes, our mouths, our ears, our hands, our minds, our thoughts, our feet, they're weapons for more joy in God, not just to satisfy our urges. That's what's different about a gospel community. You see, we present our bodies to God. We've been transformed, and now we don't just present our bodies as a means to just satisfying urges and cravings. We use all of these as a means for further joy in God. I think one thing that should disturb us is youth that are in churches are almost as sexually active as youth that are outside of churches. I think that should disturb us. I think it should disturb us that there are adults that are having affairs close to the same percentage as those outside church. Is the gospel that weak? Has the gospel really failed to transform? Or could it be that the reason our teenagers are presenting their bodies to one another is because we have not taught them and modeled for them how to present our body to God? Could that be the issue? Could it be that they're not seeing it in us and friend, I encourage you, I hope you don't start that in seventh grade. You see, I need to be modeling it right now for my first grader and my pre-K students. It should disturb us that we have folks inside the congregation that are doing the same things as those outside. And yet, we're the gospel community, friend. We're the gospel community. James 3, 9. With our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. With it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. What would it be if you had a congregation that all they spoke of was good of one another? What would it be? It would be rare. That's what it would be. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all the glory of God. You see what I've been convicted. You see the joy of this congregation that they've been able to see my weight go up, go down, go up, go down. It's cool. I'm kind of like a yo-yo, but it's exciting because they never know what I'll weigh when we come each Sunday, right? But here's the thing that I've been convicted of. I don't want to have a healthier body just so I can last longer and see Arabella graduate. I want to present my body to God so that if he has a task he needs me to do, it's not my body that disqualifies me. That's why I want a healthier body. That's what I was convicted of this week. I want to present my body to God so that I won't disqualify myself to do whatever he is that he wants to send me. So if I keep going down my trail of sugar and candy and sugar and candy, there's a good chance I might nail diabetes right on the head, right? And then I might not be able to go somewhere later on in life because I'm tied to medicines and things that I need. None of us can plan those things or know all the way out, but all of us should give our body to God every day so that you can use it. We just sang it. Use my ransom life any way you choose. Let's not just sing junk, right? Let's mean it, right? So presenting our bodies to God. How do you do that? Through the cross of Christ, you die to yourself. You see, a gospel community... Is one that's died to self. We're a living sacrifice. How many sacrifices that were placed on the altar hopped up afterward? None. 
They died, right? Through the cross, we die to self. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. If any man would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. What does a cross do to a person? Is it a vacation? No, what, why, why would they carry that cross? They would carry that cross because that's what they would die on, right? What could Jesus mean with that phrase? What, what deeper meaning could it mean? He doesn't have a deeper meaning. He means it plainly as he says it. Die to self. Follow me. See, the gospel community is one in which we're crucified with Christ. We've died to self. Here are some questions I have. Is it evident to Baton Rouge that we are presenting our bodies to God? Is it evident to Baton Rouge that we are dead to self but alive to God? Is it just for super Christians? Or is this actually what Christians do? This is what Christians do, friend. We're those who, therefore, because I've received mercy and receiving mercy, God, my eyes are yours today. God, my hands are yours today. God, my mind are yours today. Students, that'll make a difference on some dates. That'll make a difference, guys, what we look at on computers. It'll make a difference, ladies, and what we say. Careful little hands, all right? Be careful little feet. There's some wisdom to it. The gospel community, we're different with our bodies. They're presented to God. Another thing, in the gospel community, we worship with our minds as we know and do as well. How many of you students or even adults want to know God's will for your life? See, I'm so glad you came today. You can know God's will, right? So much of it is revealed. First of all, what he says in 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So what does a gospel community look like? A gospel community is one that's not conformed to the world. The word there means squeeze. So take your hands, move them in like this. Move them in like this. This is what it means. It means being squeezed into the pattern of the world. So the question that I have to ask is, does the world see themselves or us, or do they see Jesus in us, Right? Are we thinking like the world, looking like the world, living like the world? A church that's doing this won't make a bit of difference in the world. His plan is don't look like the world, look like me. Don't think like the world, think like me. So a gospel community is one that doesn't look like the world, we look like him. It's one that doesn't think like them, we think like him. This is what we'll see. Ecclesia means assembly, called out ones. We're in the world, but not of it. How? How does this happen? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. We need new minds. We're going to spend the whole sermon here, but we need new minds. The question is, how do we do it? Well, the Spirit does it. He answers that in Titus 3. But there's a way he does it in 2 Corinthians 3. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. Here's what he does. As he shows us God's glory, he transforms us from one realm of glory to another. So students, you know how you pick a good church to be a part of while you're in college? Find one that proclaims the glory of God. Because as the glory of God is proclaimed, you're going to be transformed from one realm of glory to another. That's how you pick a good one. That's one way. So we want to, instead of looking like the world, we look more like God. As we behold his glory in the world, we behold his glory in the word. If we're going to be transformed, then we must behold his glory week after week after week. And one of the clearest ways to do that is in his word. When we have a renewed mind, it says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what's good and acceptable and perfect. You're going to know what he wants and you're going to do it. We're going to set our minds on things above. Some of us, you know, we've been there. We want to know the mystery things. Some, of, some students, you know, when they're praying about where to go to college, God, where do you want me to go to college? And they're walking around. Where do you want me to go to college? They trip on a Pepsi can, right? It's red and blue. They're like, red and blue? What school has red and blue? Are you speaking to me, God? Ole Miss has red and blue. 
But friends, it's not God's will for anyone to go to Ole Miss, right? And so <laughs> this is the measure. We, we do this stuff, right? He says, you're going to know what God wants. You're going to know it, right? So here are my questions. Do we look like Baton Rouge or do we look like Jesus in Baton Rouge? Are we increasing in our knowledge and love for God as we behold his glory? Friend, if you're never in his word, you're probably not increasing in much. It's how it is. It's up to you. You're not going to give an account to me, friend. You don't even present your body to me. You present your body to him. I'm just a messenger. I didn't write Romans 12. Is it evident to Baton Rouge that we are setting our mind on things above? That we are preparing our minds for action? That we are taking every thought captive for Jesus? Or does he not mean for us to do any of that? Friend, it's been said, right? We know people who are too heavenly good to be earthly minded. I don't know anybody like that. I don't know anybody who thinks too much about heaven. I know a lot of people who think too much about earth. But if we thought more about heaven, if we set our mind on heaven more, I have a feeling we would be very much earthly good that day. Right? Play it out. All right. Is it evident that we know God's will and are living it? Here's a couple things. Loving him with all our heart, soul, and mind. Loving others as ourselves. Making disciples. Seeking first his kingdom. Those are things I can tell you he wants from you today. All right? All right. Quickly. In the gospel community, we worship together as we serve one another with our gifts. When we have a renewed mind, the very first thing we can discern what God wants. And the very first thing he says in the next verses is, don't think more of yourself than you should. And use your gifts for one another. So in a gospel community, we're those who don't think more highly of ourselves. Jesus is the head of the church, baby, not you. Jesus is the only rock star around here, not us, right? We'll plunge any toilet, we'll pick any weed, we'll do whatever, because Jesus is the head. Jesus is in charge. So we don't think more highly. We're the ones who don't think Jesus should have died for us. We're those who are amazed Jesus would die for us. That's who we are. So don't think more highly of yourself. Also, don't think more highly of yourself to be like, I don't need people. God's like, yeah, you do. And it's my plan. So you can have Jesus. You know, there are people who say, I'm cool with Jesus, but not cool with the church. It reveals that you're ignorant if you say that, because Jesus is cool with the church. And his plan is that when we're reconciled to him, we're reconciled to one another. And so that's why it goes on to say in verse 4, for as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Some of us are going to be belly buttons. Hey, be belly button for the glory of God, right? Could be worse. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. One of the things that we're going to see is that we need each other. We need one another doing our part. When you don't do your part, you hold us all back. And then he goes through gifts, having gifts that differ in verse 6. According to the grace given to us, let us use them in prophecy in proportion to our faith, of service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching. He just lists a whole bunch of gifts. We're actually going to have a bit of a teaching on the gifts. That's going to come in this time because we need to know. Many of us don't know what our gifts are or how we use them or what that looks like. We're going to do just a little bit of focus on that. But here's the biggest question. Students, I want to encourage you. It's not just what can I get from a church. It's what can I give to a church. That's the idea. When you have a renewed mind, a gospel community is not one who's just getting stuff. We're giving to one another as we use these gifts that he has given us. And we see that. I call it, I call it in one sense, the, uh, the Doc Wilson principle. You know, Titus 2. Students, you want to go to a church that offers you a chance to Titus 2 where the older men teach the younger men, the older women teach the younger women. And the reason I, I say Doc Wilson is because if you don't know Doc, and I've shared this before, but Doc's wife had a stroke, and for the next seven years, he was so faithful to take care of her. She had another stroke, 
And for the next seven years, he would go three times a day making sure she was fed. And he was faithful to her all the way to the end of her life. That's a man that you want to be with, to know what it means when you say in sickness and health, that's a man that you want to mentor you. That's a man that you just want to hang out with. But if you go to a church and all they let you be around is just college kids, then you're missing it. And you're missing what God's plan for the church is. And that's why we try to be as intergenerational as we can. I remember one of my favorite nights of being pastor of Crosspoint is when we would set up the round tables in here on Wednesday nights and seeing Doc sit at a table with seventh grade boys. It was one of my favorite nights. And so it happens all along. Some of our older ones are mentoring some of our younger ones. In its midst, that's what it should be. That's what God wants. We know that we worship together. All right, here's the last one. In the gospel community, we live love. Verse 9, let love be genuine. And then he goes through a list. Abhor what's evil, hold fast to what's good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Friends, this is the gospel community. This is what it looks like. How we relate to each other and how we relate to those outside of it. Now, all this list of presenting our bodies to God, having new minds, using our gifts to one another, and then especially if someone does something to you, and instead of cursing them back, you bless them. How do we do all of this? And the answer is at the very beginning of the passage. Go back to Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Do you know how we're a gospel community, friends? God's mercies. God's mercies where we started when we sang. We don't obey his commands in our own strength. If we didn't have his strength, we couldn't obey his commands. So we do all of this by his mercies. All that God expects from us, what's he do? He provides for us. All that God expects from us, he provides for us. The gospel is not just for salvation. The gospel is for sanctification. And this is the incredible picture. How many of you know when God's mercies are new? How often are they repeated? Anyone got a wild guess? Good. Lamentations 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So here's the important part, friends. If we are not living as the gospel community, it's not because God has failed to give us his mercies. It's not because we don't have what we need. It's because we're not clinging to it. Are you as concerned about each other's sanctification as you are your own? Are you realizing it's not just Jesus saved me, Jesus saved us? And collectively, we want to be the gospel community. We don't want to just come in here. If you want to come in here week after week and just learn more stuff, friends, that's not the point. The point is not information. The point is transformation. We're not studying psalms just so we can be psalm scholars at the end of our study in the next few weeks. Pretty sure we won't be. But number two, we're studying psalms that we can know God more. We can know how to pray to him better. We can know what it's like to cry out to him. We study Galatians not to get to the end of Galatians, but that we might be changed, right? So as we conclude, here's my question. Do we look like this? Do we look like this? Are we praying and asking God to produce this in us? You know what I would encourage you? I would encourage you to read Romans 12. And pray through it and say, God, produce this in me. Help me today present my body to you. God, help me to think like you, not be conformed to the world. God, help me to use my gifts to build up my brothers and sisters today. 
Father, help me to hate what's evil. You take 9 through 21 and pray through it. It'll make a difference in our day, friends. College students, do you want to be part of this type of community? Because this is where we're aiming. So the upcoming series is going to be an exposition of Romans 12. We're going to come back. We're going to zoom in on these things. All right? What does it look like when we collectively live the gospel? Because the gospel doesn't inform, friends. The gospel transforms. And I have no interest in us being a congregation that's like so many others that proclaim and talk about the gospel, yet our lives don't look any different when we pull out of this parking lot. How can that be? How can that be? Father, thanks for today. Thanks for the chance to encounter your word. Sort of an overview sermon, Father, of of all these things. But Father, we've seen the church in Acts, the very first church, and they were not the same after they encountered the gospel. We've seen the church at Colossae, and it was not the same. We've seen the church at Thessalonica, and it was not the same. Yet, Father, in our own day, we see folks who claim to have countered the gospel, and they seem very much the same. They look a lot like the world. Father, we have one life here. We have one season here. So we don't want to waste it. Father, we don't have the freedom to define church. You have defined it. What you're telling us is that what you've done for us should make a difference. There's a therefore. It should make a difference. Father, would you help us to be those who today will present our bodies to you in all ways? Would you be those who seek to have a renewed mind so that we're not squeezed into the pattern of the world? We'll know what you want and we'll do it rather than just thinking and doing what they do. Would you help us to be those who have a right estimate of ourselves and understand that we need each other and that we use our gifts for one another and for your glory? And then, Father, with this whole list of characteristics that you've given that we would hate evil. Father, we do not hate evil enough. Otherwise, we would not choose sin as often. God, would you produce your hatred for evil in us, that we would hate sin Father, would you produce brotherly affection? Would you produce zeal in us? All of these things are only going to be possible by your mercies. So would you take the next few weeks, should you give them to us, Father, and teach us what it means to be the gospel community, but help us not just be informed, but to be transformed and to live these things. Father, change us. Help us to be the church that you are creating us to be in Christ Jesus. Take your word now and help it to marinate in us and help us to live it. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. We're going to close with some announcements.